0: 1991, and our good friend Katie Biggs has made a nominal name for herself in the cutthroat world of the American film industry. A handful of vital connections here have helped her climb the ladder of success, including Oliver Stone, the producer of her last film, and James Cameron, the producer of her next film, and also now her husband. The clout these two Hollywood giants carry helped boost both the profile and the box offices of, of Bigelow's early 90s efforts, but the talent is all hers. Point Break, Bigelow's high-octane action thriller about a band of surfing bank robbers and the Youngblood FBI agent in desperate pursuit of them, drops in July with a major splash, garnering her greatest receipts to date and continued cultural acclaim as a high point in 90s action thanks to Bigelow's peerless direction and the tense charisma between leads Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze. Cut to 1995. Cameron and Bigelow are divorced now, but still on good terms. He's written the script for her next film, Strange Days, an exceedingly 90s sci-fi gem infused with the tense racial politics of the day, inflating the pandemonium of the post-Rodney King LA riots into a dystopian cyberpunk setting on the cusp of the new millennium. Strange Days was Bigelow's biggest and most expensive film so far, with a price tag of more than $40 million, and her biggest bomb too, netting just shy of $8 million, kicking off a wave of financial flops that continued into the next decade. Bigelow would shift gears with her next project, producing a mashup of erotic thriller and historical fiction with an adaptation of Anita Shreve's The Weight of Water, based on the real-life smutny Nose Island Murders of 1873. The film premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2000, but failed to find any distribution until her next project in 2002. If Bigelow hoped her move from the adrenaline-driven genre films to the central murder mystery melodrama would be fruitful, she would be gravely disappointed, as The Weight of Water garnered universally harsh reviews and even more abysmal box office receipts, netting less than 2% of the film's cost in total grosses. As previously mentioned, the same year The Weight of Water finally limped into theaters, Bigelow had another film making the rounds, a submarine thriller depicting the calamitous maiden voyage of the Soviet Union's first nuclear-powered submarine. K-19, the Widowmaker, was a project well suited to Bigelow's sensibilities, a subject favorable to her dynamic sense for drama and action, and her first foray into the kind of war films which would define the latest period of her career. Unfortunately, even with the star power of Harrison Ford and Liam Neeson at the helm, K-19 also sank at the box office, perhaps due to American audiences' disinterest in sympathetic portrayals of a former rival nation in the wake of 9-11 attacks and the nationalistic fervor which swept the country in its aftermath. Little did we know, however, that this national tragedy would open the door for Bigelow's next directorial phase and the most significant triumph of her entire career.
1: Welcome back to the Twin Geeks uh, podcast about director filmographies. We've uh, changed the site name to go along with our new format, uh, or our podcast name, at the very least,
0: to the Twin Geeks. I've changed my sound a little bit. Do do I sound a little bit better now? I'm coming through, I think, a little clearer. Yeah. So, so, uh, apparently... I've been using this microphone lo- uh, wrong for, like, past however many years or whatever. Uh, it's been facing the wrong direction. Has uh, <laughs> <Is> it? <laughs> yeah, so it's been picking up, like, the, the echo off the walls of the room. Okay. <laughs> so that's why I've sounded like shit for so long. And now it's a bit better just because my, my wife read the actual instructions on the, that came with the microphone and noticed that it was on the wrong side. <laughs> you, you know, my it's... Like, it, it, it's a circle, like, you know, it's it's not clear that a microphone on the inside has different levels of detection. It looks like it's going to be the same, you know, both ways, like, the, the, mm-hmm. the which side you approach it from shouldn't matter. But uh, if you know anything about microphones, you'd know that's obviously stupid. And you Yeah, know, it does matter. Yeah, it does. So, uh, who knew that it's just been turned around the wrong way this whole time? But hopefully, from here on out, I'll sound much better.
1: Well, welcome back to the Twin Geeks. We're a podcast about director filmographies. We're uh, exploring Catherine Bigelow, Katie Biggs, as you called her. Katie Biggs, um, yeah. We tried to get a site involvement for renaming our show. It went a little sideways, wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah, yeah. Lots of uh, creative suggestions. <laughs> our, um, our
1: first uh, suggestion was the Twink Gaycast, which got the most votes. <laughs> um, unfortunately, that's a uh, Dilfographies was our second suggestion.
2: So
0: surprisingly, Um, no alternative to the right suggestions. You would think we would have got more of those considering our branding. But nope. we're (laughs) it was it was pretty, pretty gay leaning the whole way.
1: Yeah, um, they were really calling us out. Uh, Two dudes going through you was uh, a friend's suggestion.
0: Which which was which was more accurate to the new direction of it. But I feel like still not quite the right spirit.
1: Blank check with Griffin and David.
0: (laughs) I kind of like that one
1: yeah um i think that one might work out in the podcast world but uh, not for us this is blank check with uh calvin and david here uh, the twin geeks is our new show name uh yeah. cutting out the cast uh, yeah because
0: uh it's not a podcast anymore
1: i mean uh it's kind of us as like the editor-in-chief of the site uh like us being combined in that position and kind of maintaining like a our uh threshold over the the rest of our staff um yeah it's just yeah.
0: it's just simplifying and reasserting our domain as the head honchos of this which uh, i feel like with how many podcasts we have going now we really need to you know kind of
1: reassert uh, our control yeah yeah, over put, our followers.
0: yeah 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 put the boots a little further down on the necks of, mm-hmm. of our uh fellow podcasters here they need to remember who's in charge
1: yeah uh I, we didn't take any of their suggestions after several hours of uh, um polling yep. um, but uh it was a uh, films walk with me a lot of twin uh peaks related suggestions um uncle boon me who can recall his past filmographies which was one of mine i was uh, a. <laughs> They record podcasts, don't they? Or they uh, explore filmographies, don't they? If is, they record uh,
0: podcasts, one? don't they? would probably be... Uh, I, I kind of like that one now that you mentioned it. The, the only issue is that it's longer than the yeah. cast was, which was kind of the, the whole reason for it, because now that our, our titles are much longer because we have to come up with silly names to describe directors' filmographies and then include the parts in it. They it can't all fit on a header.
1: This one's point rank, as we've determined. Um, not the... Not the best name, but the best name we have.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, despite having several months of uh, runway to come up with names, uh, as proven by our new name for this, uh, the podcast, uh, it's not our, not our strong suit. <laughs> but this, but exploring directors' filmographies is.
1: Yes. Um, that's what we're here to do. That's what we do in our free time anyway, and I think that's a culmination of what we were heading toward and what we kept hitting at when we kept returning to right. uh, significant filmographies to and, us.
0: And it's gonna give us a chance to cover films that we really love, like uh, this first film, certainly, and films that nobody else would ever probably watch ever, uh, as as we have previously and will continue to do uh, and it'll, find find the reasons why.
1: <laughs> it'll help me fill in those blanks, thus uh, blank check this is over.
0: <laughs> right, 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 check, check blank, we should have gone with, because we should have the blanks off of the filmographies. Point,
1: point,
0: point check? check, yeah. Checkpoint. Check breaking point. Checkpoint?
1: Reached my breaking point. Um, it's nice, though, because uh, originally we would have done about three movies within three shows. Now we'll have done, you know, a whole slate of a director's is, career.
0: At the end of this episode, we'll have covered seven films in two episodes.
1: I mean, within this one episode, you're getting a month's worth of regular Twin Geeks content, honestly. So uh, it's I mean, it's four times the show in one.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's more effort on our half, for sure. Uh, it really is, I've, yeah. I've, I've done almost nothing but watch Catherine Bigelow films this past week, but I'm enjoying it, and that's the important thing.
1: I mean, last year, I, I just looked at my Letterboxd stats, and Paul Freese was my most recurring <laughs> actor. So it, it's definitely had an immediate impact on, on my viewing habits, obviously.
0: I love that. I just have to say I love that. What a What a wonderful outcome this has had so far. <laughs>
1: It has been good. Um, I'm enjoying it. I enjoy that we have a closer relationship going through these movies. We just watched one of these together before the show, which we used to do all the time.
0: We did, and, and we started running out of time for different things. But now we're making time. Uh, hopefully, we'll make time to watch better movies together <laughs> going forward. But uh, you know, uh, I'm happy that that at least uh, I didn't have to suffer through it alone. But we'll we'll get to there. We'll get to maybe
1: it's that, better just to do like the worst of the filmography together, just because it's so. I mean, that's uh, yeah, it's hard can, to determine beforehand. But
0: yeah, certainly is. Maybe we could have predicted in this case. But, uh, you know, starting off is, is certainly is better. Um, I guess we should go from the beginning. Should we not? what do we have first year? Uh, first film is a uh, point break as, as I kind of covered in my recap there. This is potentially the high point of Catherine Bigelow's career. I think it's it's the entry point for maybe most people, at least pre 2008 for sure. Uh, this is how I knew Catherine Bigelow before anything else. Uh, I knew about Point Break, the dynamic, exciting, thrilling Keanu Reeves movie where he puts on his surfer voice and you know tracks down Patrick Swayze from Robin Banks, <laughs> and it's and it's fucking awesome.
1: I think I found out about Point Break only through my Fast and Furious fandom first. Um, makes sense. I mean, it it is the template for my most beloved franchise that I don't care about like a i mean i don't like any fast and furious movie individually if i really sit down and think about it but uh the whole franchise i'm very warm toward
0: i'm not i'm not sure how that calculation exactly comes out but sure i i see that
1: there are three good movies like in the whole run of 10
0: i mean good or passable like good there's okay, okay.
1: fast five is a legitimate action classic
0: i guess i guess this is the opportunity where we should uh promote the the stacks show yeah they're currently going through the fast and furious filmography and finding <laughs> out the quality of the the franchise
1: well steven and jack know nothing so it's great because Vaughn's leading them through and and they're guessing at trivia I'm, I'm having a great time listening
0: that's good so be sure to check that out do we, do we have links to that on the site or do people have to just google it
1: it's on the site if you search stacks uh, yeah. that'll be the first result
0: so. stacks but
1: There's oh, yeah. uh. Uh, for me, it was always like that um, same setup. Like he, there are a lot of like reoccurring scenes in Fast and Furious. And I think it's such a good format for like an action movie and like a summer action movie, especially like it's very connected to like the waves and just surfer mentality. And it combines that into like a, a robbery scheme, which is a same thing Fast and Furious does. It's just different subcultures. It just swaps surfing out for, you know, a stock car racing on the streets.
0: I think it's kind of interesting how the script started and evolved because, uh, at least from my understanding, from just a little bit of research, is that it really started around the premise of these bank-robbing surfers, yeah, and and less focused about the the hunting of them. Like in in the in the ultimate film, they are the the, the subject, but we're following the pursuit of them. Like it's it's about uncovering them and discovering them. Whereas in initial premises, especially when it was under its original name, Riders on the Storm, which would have been good two, name Two Catherine Bigelow films named after doors songs <laughs> which i think is interesting um but yeah uh, it seems to have shifted away more towards being uh you know kind of more of a cop thriller uh in this case an FBI agent one which again like m- makes sense for a project than for Catherine Bigelow coming off of blue steel and onto point break here
1: not just an fbi agent one and i'm an fbi agent
0: it's it's an immensely quotable film certainly as well i think again most people will come to this uh retrospective and know Catherine bigelow for point break and rightfully so
1: (laughs) it's just one of those uh very early 90s action films that really embodies a time and a place and and a vibe um it is kinetic. I like how kinetic her work has been, and uh, this is really the best example of her nailing her style and yeah. and uh, working with actors and really bringing out the best in early Keanu Reeves, like his awkwardness. She already understood it. I like that.
0: It's it's one of the best roles that is able to capitalize on that very odd uh, characteristic of Keanu Reeves' personality, uh, especially the one that existed in the '90s versus today. Uh, again, the corniness of his acting. Is suited to the material, suited to the character specifically, so it's, it's all believable within the world of the movie. It does; he doesn't feel out of place at all. He's supposed to be that way.
1: I mean, he's working with Gary Busey. So, yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> it's a that, perfect. The, the,
0: the tone of the film is is very comical in nature, while also, um, you know, uh, perpetuating this this fraternity narrative that you can you know put in, emotional investment in. Uh, when I was going back over it today uh, or the other day. I thought about it in the context of some other high watermark 90s action films and I and it kind of occurred to me that this is effectively the American kind of version of a John Woo movie mm-hmm. in in the sense of the, it's over the top, you know, high octane action married with a kind of fraternal bond um between these um you know the the, the CD characters the you know you, you get a lot of that that the parallel like you could see how they kind of the the crossover between something like hard-boiled which came out the following year and this you know the the, the relationship building between like the the undercover under- undercover cop there in that film with Chow Yun fats you know uh reckless <laughs> uh main character cop tequila who, who doesn't play by the rules
1: yeah and i now that you mentioned it, it as the dna of all the best uh detective stories in cinema and uh especially from like the hong kong classification of yeah john Wuism and yeah. It's
0: it, more so in the, the, the way that those films are always kind of centered around these fraternal relationships and these bonds that are created between, you know, two men, uh, specifically, and how that reflects in the relationship between Keanu Reeves's uh, Johnny Utah and Patrick Swayze's mm-hmm. and And how that's a very compelling narrative element, dramatic element of the film, which helps ground the otherwise kind of sillier elements, the more comical elements of the story.
1: Would you say Fast and Furious is also uh, relatable to John Woo movies? It's all about family.
0: Moving on. <laughs>
1: well, we live our podcast uh, quarter movie at a time. So uh, on to our second of four.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I should say that we'll we'll cover this one less, I think, point break. We could go on for a we whole did a episode whole about it. Yeah, yeah. and that was the thing is that we did we a whole did. episode about it. Go check it out because uh, we have great affection for that film. And we, I think, fawn over it quite a bit there. And It'll
1: so, come up every time at the beginning of our rankings, because I think we'll, I mean, today and tomorrow, next week, su- yeah.
0: I'll be surprised if something outdoes it, because I've had an enduring affection for Point Break for most of the time I've spent watching movies in my life. So, yeah. I don't, if, if, some, if she made a better film than that, uh, I'll, I'll be shocked, <laughs> be shocked, frankly. Anyway, so, uh, the next film she made after... Point Break was another four years down the line, which was Strange Days in 1995.
1: What a move. What a move to go from Point Break to Strange Days. I mean, yeah. you could see the connections.
0: There, Yeah. So you see this interesting development of her films, I think, from, yeah, you could say from, from The Loveless. But there's a nice, I think, trilogy of genre films there in Near Dark to Point Break to strange days, which is. I a, wish
1: she stayed in that like mode her entire career.
0: I think we all kind of do. I think we yeah. all like we look back and, and love those but it should be noted that two out of those three films did terribly terribly at the box office like they were not successful for especially this film. Wow, it, it did not make any money.
1: <laughs> no <Lost laughs> significant sh- amounts. Um, shame.
0: Shame. It's because it, it feels like a film that has its finger on the pulse And is also, you know, again, like uh, not just uh, politically, like with its its social commentary, which is definitely an integral aspect of the film, but uh, aesthetically, especially, and how the film integrates with sci-fi tropes as well, um, which was big in the '90s. Uh, Sci-fi films were all the rage, especially these kind of like new millennium cyberpunk sci-fi films. You know, um, stuff like you you got Existenz and uh, from David Cronenberg, and you got. Matrix coming up on the heels there. This was in ninety-five. And it's uh the the premise is largely built around this idea of memories, uh people recording and, and using memories as a form of escapism and kind of plugging into this this alternate reality they can they can escape to by experiencing other people's, you know, memories that they that they've recorded through and through the feeling and through the visuals. And that's how the film opens up. It opens up with, you know, uh one of those characteristic Fake out. She, she, Catherine Bigelow does a lot of these. I don't know if you've noticed where the opening is a very like action-oriented, like you know, scene is full, lots of tension, only for the end for the, like the rug to be pulled out from under you, and it, it reveals it was like it was a training mission or something. Uh, like like Blue Steel does that. This does that, and then we have it again in K nineteen where it's like, oh, it wasn't actually a real scenario. This was, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a, a fake thing. It was a, it was a test or whatever. And in this case, it's a memory. It's it's Ray Fine's character going through and, and testing looking over this memory of uh somebody in a, in a police shootout a very tense police shootout which is all conveyed through lots of uh, incredibly woven together steady cam perspective footage
1: very good editing on like the point of view shots and bringing together like a new like stylistic flourish and i uh it is all kinetic again but uh, i think like the stuff from jericho one is especially interesting he's like the rapper in the movie who Does a lot of the social messaging, like um, saying he could never be living in a dream because it's a nightmare. You know, like a lot of this still resonates with the black community, I believe. Uh, And it's still the stuff we see on the streets when uh, when problems arise with the police and uh, accountability. And this is also talking about like um, before we even had like cameras on our cell phones, having like video evidence strapped to police and uh, trying to find some way to hold the unaccountable accountable. Uh, really good stuff uh, early on um some shifts in, in what it's saying about authority especially at the end uh i'm unclear to me but
0: it's that's it's, big a lot it's definitely messy it's a messy film a bit in its messaging and its pacing uh it takes about an hour i don't know if you noticed for the actual plot to take place yeah it does. Uh, it's it's a lot of like setup world building which is all like enjoyable stuff but you're you're waiting around for a long time for the you know the shoe to drop
1: i think i i think i marked about 35 minutes before it actually tells you what it's about like what before a plot like really develops
0: well because because the plot is is that essentially a one of these discs that has you know like like crucial evidence falls into ray his character's lap uh, who's a who's a dealer, he deals in these mm-hmm. um, memories. I, they had a name for him, I think, but I've already forgotten.
2: And the
1: squid? Is is that what you're looking for? I know that's the device.
0: Yeah, that was the device they would put on their heads to experience these things. But the actual discs themselves, they're like mini discs. They're mini discs right. that, that come in these little plastic things that you can plug into. Again, very cool sci-fi concept. Uh, I like the, the kind of world it builds because the world is distinctly 90s. It's on the cusp of the millennium. It takes place in 1999. Uh, an alternate and obviously but um and it's like all set on new year's this is a this is a new year's movie that i never knew about a <laughs> we, millennium
1: new new year's movie that makes it pretty special I think. yeah
0: and that's that's super cool it's a super cool time period to to set your movie in. the aesthetic of it is really great it's very grungy and again it 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 really takes it and and it, and, and it kind of like just accelerates the pandemonium of of 90s la and makes that a, a kind of dystopian future setting uh, and again, to to highlight the actuality of the, you know, uh, turmoil of L.A. in the 90s at the time, um, it's not just like capitalizing on it for the sake of uh, like like exploiting, you know, what's going on for for profit or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It is it does that with purpose and with a message. Again, the Certainly answer, it doesn't I, profit I, off. This. <laughs> so no, no, obviously <laughs> it's losing nope. money
1: to get this message across. Uh, yeah.
0: Didn't even make a fourth of its budget back.
1: (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, right on the cusp of the Rodney King. And around this time in the 90s, we started to feel an existential dread about the new millennium. I remember that's when I started hearing people talk about the end of the world coming. And uh, it just escalated to, oh, maybe computers won't work until people were able to, like, crack that and figure out how to make computers work efficiently and everything.
0: It was really, I I think there's probably a lot of the newer generation. I have no idea for sure. So maybe this is my ignorance but i imagine the newer generation doesn't realize the actual like fear and pandemonium of y2k
1: i mean my grandparents thought the world was going to end in riots at the end of 1999 so like i i still see like those images in my mind and and i just felt very sympathetic like watching the rodney king thing on the tv and everything and um you know you live through a few of those things and you start to associate and support these causes and uh, Bigola does come back to it with like Detroit, which we'll be getting to later. Uh, interesting that she starts laying some groundwork here.
0: Yeah. Uh, this is again, and also this is an especially interesting juxtaposition with something like uh, Blue Steel, which again, mm-hmm. like was super, super like, you know, fascist. Yeah. 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 And this one is uh, I would say for, for the most of the time again, we could talk about the ending in a bit, but like, especially in this depiction of the police very like like brutally honest with how fascist they are with how um uh, like like overly violent and excessive force that they utilize again something we saw in blue steel but the tone kind of like supported rather than here where it is overtly and intensely critical uh and and you get that through i think uh uh, vincent d'onofrio is like the main cop of the duo there and he's terrifically terrifying i think he did a really great job in that performance of being just the the most horrifying you know horrifyingly abusive and outraged comp that you can you can kind of imagine and who are very real and so his his portrayal there is, is really terrific
1: i like the movie too because it's saying like this system is so brutal that um it holds the line on its thoughts there that um it's so brutal that nothing can stop it other than like complete accountability and uh, creating systems that um, can't be manipulated. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what Bigelow ultimately thinks between those two films. So she yeah. goes back and forth.
0: It's, especially if you look at, uh, I've looked over a lot of interviews with Bigelow lately, and she seems very detached from the, the messaging. of. The <laughs> she interview. does. She's she very did. cagey you you can't really get a read on what she as a person thinks about any of these subjects or these films. She she approaches all of the, the art from a very uh, technical standpoint.
1: I uh, think that's what frustrated me with Detroit on the first viewing. I think we'll get there, but um, we'll see, some I, of I've, these movies, yeah.
0: I, yeah, I've, I've got no opinions on Detroit as of this moment. It's one of my blank spots here.
1: Well, it's a pretty grim city. Um so.
0: <laughs> yeah it's, it's gone down, downhill I, I couldn't
1: believe when i was a kid like going through detroit and everything was actually boarded up and uh i i mean you know seattle was like that for a couple of years here but uh those are different circumstances in detroit it's like a all the time thing um mm-hmm. i it was the first time i saw like plexiglass to use like any convenience store or anything and
0: i wonder if there's any like systemic reasons why that might be the case if there's something particular about detroit
1: it's would, just inherently bad. Um, Detroit's just bad.
0: I wonder why. Anyway, um, with Strange Days, I guess we can work our way up to its faults, how, how it doesn't kind of come together ultimately. There's a big plot line that's, uh, you know, involving Ray Fiennes' connection with other characters that is, is kind of like tangentially interesting, like narratively but mm-hmm. really it's the it's the racial commentary aspects and how it connects with the and how it's in conversation with the the rodney king um uh, uh, riots and such um uh, particularly as, as we get to the unveiling of the the footage the perspective there and the police's attempts to cover that up murder the right. the, the suspects and the accountability of it and particularly how that affects the the black uh characters of the film Uh, Mm -hmm. And and it's very upfront with its racial politics there. It's a little messy with them. There was one point at the end where I was very afraid they were going to (laughs) martyr the main Black character they have in the film as as part of its messaging. And thankfully, it it did not do that. But uh, it came very, very close uh, to painting uh, Angela Bassett's character as a kind of sacrifice there, which I I felt deeply uncomfortable with. (laughs)
1: That's but, uh, a, a regular thing with Big Low becoming deeply uncomfortable. Also her sex scenes. Uh,
0: yeah, there, there's also uh, a large amount of rape in this movie. <laughs> there's
1: um, the <laughs> no, relationship like, to sex in her movies always kind of bothers me. I was going to say it, rubs the wrong way, but that seems inappropriate.
0: The the rape scene in this film was particularly interesting, uh, I found. Because for, for the most part, I found it effective primarily. But then I felt like it was... Uh, it, it, it pulled back when it shouldn't have if it wanted to be like really brutal in its depiction of that, that kind of horrifying um, act. Uh, it, the film has a lot of nudity in it. Uh, it's very unafraid to embrace that um, for, for a couple characters characters. Um, uh, but it doesn't have any male nudity. It, it, it refrains from showing it. There's a moment in the initial, in the first rape scene, I believe we see where the, the, the POV character goes to, you know, uh, ex- expose himself for it and the camera refuses to engage with that. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that seeing a a nude penis on screen would make the rape scene more horrifying or more effective. I don't think that's necessarily the case, but it struck me as um, kind of contradictory or, or um, hypocritical to be fearless in trying in wanting to depict a rape sequence but shying away and feeling that male nudity would be too immodest yeah that, that felt like if, if if you're going to do that if you want to depict a rape scene like uh, unambiguously and so fully uh but you're afraid to show male nudity that that shows the inherent um kind of m- misogynistic bend i would say in in which you're trying to categorize and depict the violation and uh, assault of a woman for right. dramatic effect in your film
1: and even bigelow can be misogynistic i mean women can be misogynistic in yeah, their viewpoints uh, because they adopted like the framework of what, like how we shoot these scenes like
0: i i was i was pretty clear that i thought that her depiction of women in, in a woman-led film like blue steel was just absolutely horrible and on par with anything else any of the you know male directors of the 1980s made and uh, I think that's true here too. I, I'm still not convinced that Catherine Bigelow has a grip on how to depict women in her movies. And- I'm not
1: convinced she has anything on her on her mind, especially. I think she might get scripts that have things on their mind. But-
0: I mean, she's obviously drawn to these these masculine focus scripts, yeah. especially. She is, she has a great interest in that, and I don't think that has to do, especially with her gender. I don't think her gender dictates what her her interests are in depicting and deconstructing. Yeah, I don't but think that I, plays I, a part. But I think it's undeniable that she has this very clear through line in her filmography, that it's a, it's a very you know masculine-centric bend, and she's interested in exploring that that relationship with them, in, both internally and externally.
1: Um, a lot of the technology, a lot of the um, steampunky aspects of it, I do like, relate to things I really love, like Existence. Um, mm-hmm. I still want to get to Existence somehow. We, I don't know I mean, how we'll manage it now.
0: Cronenberg probably has a pretty big filmography, but one I would definitely explore.
1: Yeah, one I'm very down to explore. So maybe we do a Cronenberg dive, but uh, a lot of like the aesthetics of Cronenberg uh, there, like I like the squid thing as like an aesthetic. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, I, I think what, it fits that
1: I... 90s phase well.
0: What I like about it as a sci-fi film is that it's not a too far-fetched sci-fi. It's very tangible sci-fi. Again, it's set only 4 years in the future from its current present and it introduces like a single unrealistic technology for its mm-hmm. time. You know, there's not a bunch of like uh sci-fi weaponry or modes of transportation. It's it's just this idea of being able to see and sell and struggle with an addiction towards other people's memories. And that's another big component of-
1: That you could overdose you know, on it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's there's a whole allegory there as well with it, which again, I think is very apt for, for 2022. I think this idea of our, our, not only our addiction to media, but to the uh, escapism through other people's experiences, I think mm-hmm. is very much true alive and well in, in uh, our modern age, in our uh, uh, relationship with social media. So the film is prescient in that sense, but uh it's and, and it's also very aware of its its current time period, but I think it comes uh ultimately from a very naive perspective in terms of trying to supply a conclusion for those issues of the day. Uh I, the film doesn't want to be uh it, it doesn't want to exist in the same nihilism that you know persists in the mid 1990s uh and the state of the world at that period and so it tries to end on a triumphant note that rings hollow for the, the solution of things like, there's that like the whole solution of the film is finding the one good cop in the force who can bring these two bad cops to justice to, to, i hate
1: that to, message at... <laughs> yeah
0: to, to weed out the single individuals who are a, an issue in the text of this script here which is just not a proper reflection of the actual state of things
2: and, and i don't and it, think
1: it properly reflects the rest of the movie and the accountability and the systemic problems it's talking about um right that's so far gone from its own message
0: it's very yeah because it's it seems very aware of the systemic issues particularly from a racial point of view but it then just uh co- cops out with with a kind of you know oh but we can fix this you know if we if we take care of the the bad seeds in in this which uh mm. And and that's when I get the sense that I'm like, oh, okay, this is written from a very white perspective. Then it seemed to be doing well up until then, but uh, I think it ultimately falters. It's, it's a, again, it's a, it's a naive liberal perspective, I think from, you know, from, from James Cameron who wrote the script.
1: I think it shows that we do need black voices on board all the way through because you can make these mistakes that ultimately are huge mistakes in the, in the plot of your movie. And, in your handling of racial context uh, yeah
0: and 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 another issue with the conclusion i just want to say is the romantic angle it kind of shoehorns in there yeah i don't know i don't know how you felt about that but uh we were were sitting on the couch and watching and and my wife said oh i'm so glad that they didn't force that together they didn't get together at the end they were just good people and then two minutes later they do yeah just big old you know like close-up romantic kiss moment and it was a very loud audible groan in the house watching that scene (laughs) because it was it was not well forecasted at all it was not well established the relationship between them was not good and and definitely i think Angela bassett's character deserved more than the kind of shitty broken you know person that ray fines is in the film yeah (laughs) he's working hard and
1: he has just enough i think to be redeemable and for us to believe in him I, i think uh I think he has just that right line for us to believe in. I don't think he deserves a partner by the end, though.
0: No, no, I I don't think so. He's still got a lot to work on. Uh, I like Ray Fiennes as a character. I like his flaws. I like him and his personality. Really like him here, yeah. Yeah, and Angela Bassett, I think, is just absolutely terrific. She's she's such a, a wonderful force and presence in the film, someone you can really get behind. Again, the good crew here and uh, I love Juliet Lewis. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but I have an insane, insatiable like boyhood crush on Juliet Lewis. Mm. And she she she's just absolutely beautiful in this film and, and you get a lot of uh nudity with her. And that's uh really awesome for me. That's <laughs> something I wish I knew when I was younger. <laughs>
1: I'm glad that's so good for you. I don't think uh,
0: anyone else shares, by the way, this this great interest in Julia in Juliet Lewis as I do. Whenever I've mentioned it, people are pretty off put by it. They don't get the attraction, but I'm I'm all there for it, and I'm happy to have her to myself.
1: Like me with the Andy McDowell <laughs> thing. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, there's uh, two more movies to go. Uh, what
0: was uh, next? I said, is it is it time for? I think it's yeah, it's Weight of Water next
1: is it way of water first or k-19 first i don't it's know which way order. Of water. Wait.
0: okay so as i said in the description there weight of water came out it, it was uh produced first and came out uh it was premiered at the toronto international film festival in 2000 mm. but wasn't distributed until after k-19 made it to theaters uh god knows why they couldn't find a distributor for this film you know it was just <laughs> sitting around for two years waiting weird for they wanted
1: to,
2: it out
1: yeah just i mean i we just watched it together um I've heard nothing about the movie. I went in blind, but I realized that's because there's nothing to say about the movie. Well,
0: it should be said that it's hard to hear anything about the movie because there's very little out there about it. I I tried my best to find anything, any any interviews uh, with Catherine Bigelow about the film, any production notes, any news about it being made. Uh, It's very, very obscure. Very few people know about it, uh, except for those who saw it at the time and gave it, Horrible reviews. Horrible, damning reviews.
1: (laughs) I mean, I'm surprised they're not even more damning. There's so little here.
0: Well, because it's, again, like, unlike something like, say, like, Blue Steel, which I greatly disliked, which had something to cling on to and criticize, this is just really boring, really uninteresting filmmaking, really (laughs) turgid writing. It's, It's so nothing and so unappealing, you know? I'm not shocked at all that it made... Less than four hundred thousand uh, dollars. In, so it, what in kind its of total growth, it was a it was a fourteen million dollar movie, mm. and it made half of what her first film cost.
1: Yeah, no good. There, there's nothing. There's no reason it should have made money either. There's two parallel stories here, but they don't quite connect in any meaningful way. It's based off an old murder case, but uh it's kind of just hypothesizing of what may have happened. Yeah, not no even not even care. like
0: real facts. Again, it's it's historical conjecture at best for this murder case that happened in 1870s New England that <laughs> I don't think, and the, 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 like, the film acts like it's this enduring, you know, mystery, this case that people still obsess over, like it's Jack the Ripper or something, and it's not. Nobody's heard of, well, what was it even fucking called? It was the...
1: I mean, the movie can't even give us a reason. Was it called, like, the Smutty Nose uh, yeah. Sailors? Smutty,
0: Smutty Nose but, Island Murders. Yeah, <laughs>
1: that's right. God. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, the film doesn't even give us a reason to care. It doesn't even know what the reason is, so... I, yeah, I, there the, is nothing.
0: Out the gate, it just, it kind of starts. It starts, and we're already in the midst of this, you know, like, like there there's a flashback structure. Kind of like the whole, the shtick of the film is that it's weaving together these parallel timelines. The 1870 events and the subsequent trial that happened with the, the man who was accused of the murders. And the modern day uh couples, there's like two couples, they're on a yacht. And one of them is researching about this and finding how things are lining up with their own reality, but it's not really. It really doesn't in any way. And there's supposed to be a lot of sexual tension on 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 the boat between the four couples. Um, <laughs> yeah, that
1: that's played awkwardly. And, Again, she's bad at selling sex uh, in a interesting or acceptable yeah. way.
0: Uh, yeah, and and it should be said well, like the. I'm trying to think if there's any sex scenes in her films that have been good. There's a lot of sex scenes, it seems like, and there's especially a lot of rape in these Catherine Bigelow films. This is the third Catherine Bigelow film that has depictions of rape in it. And
1: today, or they're, just they're overall,
0: all, just overall. There's okay. there's Blue Steel. Yeah. That's there's right. There's Strange Days, which has which has two, and there's this. Which I don't is think a Point Break has short, any short-ish. rapey stuff. Um. No, no, no. There's no rape. No, there's, there's nothing the Kidnapping in there. of Tyler, but uh, that's all. It's pretty clean. It's it's all good there. Uh, I don't know. We'll see what what happens with the the next three. I don't <laughs> know if she. If there's room for rape in those movies. But...
1: I don't think so. But uh, there. I mean, there's not room for rape in any of her movies.
0: So. Well, I, uh, it made sense in Strained Days. I understood mm-hmm. why it was there as, as an element. It's just it's a little sloppy in its execution. It was woefully tacked on. It is an attempt for creating more dramatic tension in blue steel mm-hmm. and it was it was horribly depicted. it was very sloppily depicted. And here it's just played as
1: nothing for me like the oh, whole they, movie. I just I,
0: I was so emotionally detached by the time it even got there that it didn't phase me at all and it's and it's trying to juxtapose that scene of rape with like the actual like sexual tension and affairs that are going on with the couples in this boat.
2: Yeah. I'm,
0: I'm, I, I have to say if it's not clear, I'm really grasping for like any kind of tangible elements for any of these plot lines that had gone on in this film, because just none of it mattered. It did not feel of any significance. And I'm only repeating it back in a very literal sense of these are things that happened in this movie.
1: (laughs) It kind of cuts back between what happened and what's happening now. And uh, they use a framing device of black and white, which uh, in the modern day they're using camera clips, Whenever she shoots on her camera, it goes black yep. and white. When they go back in the past, it's black and white. I don't know. They use a negative at one point. That interested you.
0: Yeah, there, yeah, there, there was one shot of like where it was just one negative I believe. Mix, mixed in with the black and white footage. I was like, oh, look, it's a negative film. That's interesting, I guess. Seems like <laughs> <Just> an
1: <laughs> editing error in hindsight.
0: <laughs> well, and, and the and the modern black and white footage, like, again, it's supposed to be through like a, a just a still photograph. The viewfinder camera. there, yeah. But it's you know it's still in motion it's still like done as like a film camera so you don't get the sense that they're being that they're photographs being taken I don't know it's it's an artistic choice again like this I feel like there's artistic choices being made here and I feel like they're not going for anything at all it feels again like the the juxtaposition of the stories I'm like eh, I guess that's a choice that's a it's an attempted at an artistic choice it's not effective but you know it's something I I guess I don't know I I said before that. Even in the 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 worst of these films we're watching with Catherine Bigelow, that they're at least interesting to dissect. Like Blue Steel was disastrous and awful mm-hmm. and totally destructive. I think in a lot of its its rhetoric, this is just nothing. There's there's nothing of interest here. There's I can't even like place it in terms of like contextualizing Bigelow's trajectory as a director here. She feels almost absent from it as a as a filmmaker aside from. A few moments towards the end where there's like a, a storm and it's like oh look the camera's moving a little bit now that's kind of bigelow-esque
1: just at the base of content and I, I, mean...
0: I wish i wish i could find some information on this movie some information of why she sought out this material like why she moved away from the genre film she was working on to do this melodramatic murder mystery thing why uh how she felt about its reception and where she went from from thereafter why she was even drawn to it in the first place there's nothing i can't find anything about this movie
1: plausibly she moved away just to show she could do it and then realized she couldn't and didn't talk about the movie
0: i mean (laughs) i can i can see a reasoning why in terms of like strange days was just financially a a a disaster so change gears try and do something different get the audience's attention I suppose
1: this, by that point you've made the movie. It's been done for a couple of years. You're promoting K twelve, probably. You realize that movie might have more uh, to anchor it than I get it.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> should we move on to K nineteen then? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, because there's just really is, there's really nothing more to say about the weight of water. There's a there's
1: a storm at the end, which should be interesting. If anything else was interesting, but nothing else is.
0: It's not, and. I think we agreed. I think I think we went in agreeing. Sean Penn is inherently dislikeable. On- yeah, we
1: both hate Sean Penn. I read his book, and it's the worst book I ever read. Bob do stuff. Um, it's about um, killing elderly people who voted for Trump. Um, it's about murdering elderly people. Uh, very why was, gross.
0: Why was Kathy Griffin canceled for her like image of uh, Trump's head? But this, but Sean Penn gets a pass. Uh.
1: I don't know because he supports the uh, I don't know he's uh, and he's anti-me too in the book um and I sent you that paragraph of the uh, pretty do you, did you gross did you just
0: pull up like a picture of it or do you own the book
1: I uh I borrowed the book I was working at a bookstore at the time so uh I mean it's just something I had around you know uh but um do you want me to read a, a bit of it
0: Sure, why not? It's got more of interest, I would say, probably than this movie.
1: Whenever he felt these collisions of incubus and succubus, he punched his way out of the proletariat with the purposeful inputting of covert codes, thereby drawing distraction through Scottsdale deployments, dodging the ambush of innocents astray, evading the viscant vogue of viagratic assaults of virtual vaginas. Or worse, falling passively into prosaic pastimes. Instead, he would quake the elderly in all concerns. Pop goes the weasel. Bob's mallet would speak. He knew his destiny's turn. That's a one sentence of uh, Sean Penn's book about that's an elderly person getting killed with a mallet.
0: What was what was that bit about viatic, bi- Like virtual vagina? What?
1: Viagratic uh, assaults on virtual vaginas at. Uh, it's. I think probably a lot of it's talking about Me Too not existing and some bullshit. I don't know.
0: It's very very awful. Very awful writing in general.
1: The worst book I've ever read. I've read a lot of books. I, I read a lot of books a year. That's the, that's the worst one. Congrats to Sean Penn, who uh, we did decide we liked at some point in Fast Times at least personally. I like the Cameron Crowe angle.
0: I mentioned that I like him in Brian De Palma's Casualties of War, but that's because he's the de- 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 depicting an utterly inhuman dirtbag who abuses and tries to enslave a woman and and i realized that seems very on point for him
1: it does i realized about eight minutes in we were only talking about cameron crow that this movie had really nothing to offer us
0: we tried though we did our best to engage with it i did my best to find out as much as i could about it and i i just could not find anything it came up very drastically short if anyone has anything please i'm I'd be very interested to see if you find anything
1: but you know what they say sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery that's uh from we bought a zoo Cameron Crowe Crow <laughs> classic <laughs> total calvin core
0: oh well, moving back on to our director of choice this uh month Catherine bigelow with the last film we have she followed up uh weight of water with uh something more more in a wheelhouse i would say for sure k19 the Widowmaker a film Um, about a a soviet submarine crew
1: it's really about how uh james cameron's obsession with submarines in the underwater caused her to become a widow like a widow in divorce (laughs) um it's actually the submarine is analogous for james cameron and uh, him tanking their relationship
0: I don't know what, what happened with the relationship. Again, like very little on on her personally and very little read on what's going on. They, they broke up like two yeah. years of marriage. They were married in 89 and divorced in 91. And I, I don't know why.
1: I do believe they're still pretty friendly. But uh, once, uh, you know, if Avatar won against the Hurt Locker, I think maybe it would have been on less friendly terms. But <laughs> it was nice that they did go head to head in a Best Picture race. I don't know how often that happens.
0: I didn't, uh, I didn't realize couple. that was the case. That's yeah, funny.
1: yeah, they were up against each other there, and uh, it seemed like you know James Cameron was like, oh, "Thank God she won." You know, it would it would look pretty bad for him. Well, know, I mean, to take I, that one.
0: I imagine he he was pretty poised as well to win because you know he still had he had all the clout from Titanic still. You know, right. and being and and Avatar being a bit of a parallel to that and outgrossing it. Avatar was literally the the biggest fucking film in the universe.
1: Actually, it is again. I think it from their re-releases it overtook the marvel stuff and now it's the biggest film of all time again
0: i don't know how i don't know how (laughs) we're supposed to get a sequel this year and i don't believe it
1: if we do we have to come back to our, our boy james
0: it's it's been 12 years since the first avatar film and this sequel has been in the works since the first avatar film
1: Avatar is a film I really like, by the way. I saw it in 3D and then I was like, yeah, but I don't like 3D. What if I went in 2D? I went the next day, saw it in 2D. I was like, it's still great.
0: I um, I, I was not as educated then as I am now to, yeah. to speak on it. It's not a film that's ever that's really stuck with me. I don't understand how it had so much cultural fervor around it. I don't understand the like the everlasting appeal of it. and The, the mystical everlasting appeal because, again, nobody cares about Avatar now, but the next one's going to make a billion fucking dollars. It will be the someone, it might I, be the
1: biggest movie ever this next nice one.
0: I had someone come over to my house uh, after, after our wedding, like for a little bit for like a weekend. Uh, It was like one of my mom's friends or something they were passing through and they asked us like looking at our giant movie shelf if we had Avatar. And I was kind of just taken aback because I'm like, that, that seems very odd, very random to like a specific film that you're seeking out like people. <laughs> Really fucking loved Avatar. Apparently, still twelve years later, and I and I don't understand why. I don't understand how it's somehow maintained like cultural currency, but has also like had zero impact in overall.
1: I disagree with zero impact. I think it. I think it's had a lot of impact.
0: Uh, oh, I just mean in terms of like 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 cultural like like you know visibility. Like what we know about it. Um, like, like like visibility wise, like you don't see its, Avatar everywhere yeah yeah it's it doesn't have again like even something <laughs> like just look at something like like titanic which still is very visible very memorable one of my know? uh
1: one of our friends invited me to a discord once where they were uh people who communicated only in avatar language <laughs> uh, these people spoke only in like the navi language and uh whatever like this culture of these blue people and they went and like translated all, all these articles into navi and Oh, uh, we just... we hung out there and just kind of joked with them, made fun of them for a few days. It was great. This is
0: what I'm talking. How long ago was this? This was this last year. Last year? Yeah. What the fuck?
1: Very this active is... community of people this learning is... the language.
0: This is what I'm talking about. There's like an underground, like cultural, like market for the Avatar, apparently, that's just hidden away. Like, fuck the government <laughs> being run by lizard people. Where's all this shit with Avatar going on?
1: I think I, I think the James Cameron people are really James Cameron people like just I think it doesn't seem that big because he hasn't made a movie in that long. But once this next one comes out, you will they'll all come out of the woodwork it, like a spider that, like, infestation.
0: When people talk about James Cameron's films, they talk about like how, how great Terminator 2 is and aliens, you know, yeah. Like, they don't talk about them in the context of James Cameron, uh, you know, as a filmmaker, as much as these are really great films that have uh, been made by this guy. Like, that's that's how I, I think they might like the personality of James Cameron doesn't seem to stand out as an auteur of the age. You know, <laughs> he's not he's not like a Scorsese whose name is the brand as much. You know, just
1: wait, though. Once this comes out later this year, you'll have to learn Navi just to get along at the grocery store. Um, oh, my God. I mean, it'll take over as official language.
0: Anyway, that's anyway a, so uh, a very very long way of getting around to K nineteen, the Widowmaker,
1: because <laughs> <laughs> um, James Cameron does submarine things, and uh, yeah. he's taken the most voyages down to see the Titanic, and uh, he's gone the furthest, I believe, into the depths of the seas in his small submarine. So, congrats to James Cameron, doing beautiful things.
0: Yes. In the, in the meantime, uh, Catherine Bigelow here is making her seafaring film uh tense soviet uh, centric story yeah. historical drama first war film as well which will become her her mainstay from here on out
1: sad but yeah
0: <laughs> and uh i think whereas we have very much been in the same kind of agreeance throughout her films up to this point we diverge here because you don't like this film Mm-mm. and i do I, I don't like
1: it whatsoever. I'm so bored by it. I mean bored I, isn't a good enough word. I mean that doesn't mean anything on its face. So we'll discuss why.
0: I think I think I can kind of see why, but I I give it a lot of the pass because I think technically it's very interesting. It's very much in her wheelhouse in her vein. She does a great job, I think, filming and depicting Tense sequences on the inside of this, you know, submarine craft. Uh, again, her dynamicism is uh, very much preserved despite the claustrophobic spaces of the submarine, and I think it it operates well as a story and the the, the tension between the, the leading characters, the dueling control of uh, the power dynamic between Harrison Ford and Liam Neeson, I think is compelling throughout. What I think the film lacks is just like a greater purpose like a, a yeah any reason to, to make it out. it's it, it's it's really just like it's a it's a historical retelling and and it doesn't have much meat on it besides from that i'm like this is it, it to me it felt like a good popcorn movie i'm like this I, is this what it feels like when people watch marvel movies lately? i think so i think that's, that's got to be it that's how i felt watching it i'm like i'm enjoying this this is this is good dynamic filmmaking i'm i'm being thrilled uh and you know there's not a whole lot here to dissect or you know kind of like ruminate on but that's okay because it's just it's it's good entertainment it felt like to me
1: first time i watched it i only pulled it up because i saw harrison ford was in a submarine movie with liam neeson and that sounded pretty good to me um i mean just the idea of making that made it worth the watch for me the first time um watching it again though yeah i i don't feel like there's much there there i feel like there's a uh, you, you know, kind of like Way of Water. I don't know why she made the movie. I don't know what she wants to say from it. So. I mean, I
0: I can definitely see way more reason here for making this movie than Wade of Water. For, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Again, because it at least has like a more interesting like historical aspect to it. It's a depiction of an event that was uh, suppressed, uh, I suppose, by the Soviet Union and couldn't really be made until after the fall in 1990. Uh, I, I'm i not really sure why it had to be an American film. <laughs> it didn't. Uh, yeah. That So that's adds no much. value. Uh, I guess you know it's interesting. I'm I'm at least interested to see. Oh, hey, look, uh, Harrison Ford's essentially playing a villain here, or or he's playing like a, you know, like a more like like power, you know, driven individual, more more corrupted, you know, by his need for control. He's not a hero in the film, and I'm like, oh, that's that's interesting. That's an interesting wrinkle for him as an actor. Uh, And I think that's why he was compelled to the material. And and the idea that it is uh, an American film, but entirely contained within a soviet perspective like it, it never brings in an outside view it's it's just a telling of it from these characters and trying to empathize with and, and view these events and you know a, as a human conflict and not one of nations in any way i think is is compelling enough to make it again like you know it's it was obviously compelling enough material for bigelow to just want to tell the story and, and it had you know didn't have anything to do with nationality or tension that way though i do believe that The timing of the film's release probably contributed to its failure at the box office as well. I don't think in the wake of 9-11, many Americans were interested in seeing this. Outside
1: war perspectives. Yeah. By Americans. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Particularly about, you know, uh, a long hated, uh, you know, enemy of the United States. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think the nationalistic fervor of the time really gelled with the material there. I can see why it did not go over well.
1: Russia is such a reoccurring um, chosen enemy of the US too um, one that will always come up and will always come back yeah. to. Uh,
0: and the, the connection there has less to do with any involvement Russia might have had in that and more so just the feeling of the country and this you know need for you know uh, ardent patriotism. And of course, you know, drawing back historically, anti you know Soviet sentiments certainly are are kind of equated to patriotism uh, right. for the country. There, so yeah, I, I can see why people may not have been enthused about this.
1: Right at that time, absolutely. There's, uh, uh, th- I think about Chernobyl, how everyone was like uh, the people on this show. Um, they just speak in their normal accents. Why aren't they doing um, absurd Russian? Uh, you know, why aren't they actually going for something? it's because it's irresponsible it's because if you do that you might get k-19 which uh, everyone sounds like a cartoon character i don't think harrison ford's been ever more out of his element than he is here i think both emotionally and in the accent i don't think he could follow through with what his character demands um i mean liam neeson a little bit better but everyone sounds so bad Uh, everyone sounds like a cartoon it's it's really irresponsible
0: I could definitely see why you think that and I have less of a problem with you because it feels like very minimal accent effort like Harrison really? Ford sound yeah yeah it, it felt minimal. Harrison feel, Ford's is way out there he, he sounds like Harrison Ford mostly still like it sounds like he's barely adapted it to me but again like it's it's not a good accent for sure uh but I I was able to, to roll with it enough it, it didn't perturbed me all that much. It's also just, I think, you know, it's a, it's a change in sensibilities from the times of filmmaking. Nowadays, we're very, very okay with just saying, don't even bother, don't try accents. It's just mm-hmm. better if you just don't. And I think that's generally a better way to go, but certainly for a long, long time, the prevailing sensibility was that if you're not trying to do an accent, then it's not a, a sincere depiction of your subject matter.
1: It's a performance if you try to do an accent before recently, um, but uh, Chernobyl is such a great show. Um, I guess I want my historical dramas like really driven by something. I want, I want something to save or, uh, you know, some huge mission there that I feel significant and carries a lot of weight with me, but uh, I don't feel a lot of drive here.
0: Yeah. Again, it's, it's missing a thematic core. It's missing a a reason for telling the story other than just like historical and dramatic significance. You know, it was, again, the, the story is the Soviet Union's first nuclear submarine and how you know the 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 journey of it uh really did not go well effectively uh you know uh, unsurprisingly when it's your first you know nuclear craft and and the threat (laughs) of the the nuclear danger as well and I think in in that sense it does a a good job of depicting the tension of it it's the film is effectively just like scene after scene of uh tense set piece you know there's a lot of Mm -hmm. tense action there and that really again it, it worked for me just on a visceral level on an entertainment level on a technical level i found it all very well executed very well done uh and i enjoyed the dynamic between harrison ford and liam neeson the rest of the crew doesn't have a whole lot of character to them they're fairly indistinguishable they're like they're a mass of a crew and like that dynamic i guess works in a very like formal way that like oh you know the camaraderie of a submarine crew yeah i can i can buy into that and the tension they share the relationship they build by having to work together like mm-hmm. all of those very formal elements but they're all the things you kind of expect from this kind of movie right and it, and it does those but it, it doesn't do anything else
1: <laughs> no um i guess uh, uh two moments i really like i like uh when the doctors are on that oh you got the wrong medication and they gets hit by a truck that's pretty funny to me <laughs> uh full times i watched that was my favorite moment of the movie uh i just laughed laugh so hard uh then there's a uh, the moment of the ascent i mean the cgi is pretty rough like with it with break it breaking through the ice but i really find that thrilling and, and interesting
0: again it's nothing to say i'm like i thought the cgi looked fine for the time you did it's the, okay. it's the early 2000s uh i'm but i also whenever i think of cgi submarines i can't help but think of escape from la so <laughs> every every single other cgi submarine is just going to look better by better than that yeah, so, <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. It's, it's definitely rough now for 2002, yeah. I'm sure it was already. Right.
1: It looks like a movie from 2002. That's fair enough. I uh, I do like the ascent up through the ice, though. I like the I like the pressure. I like the tension there of what's going to happen. I like when they get up there and he's like, "Smile," and you know the guy's like, I've, "That's my that's my Russian accent. Smile." What it what is that? Is that is that how the Russians?
2: <laughs> no,
1: talking like a squeaky.
0: Are Are you competing with Harrison Ford?
1: <laughs> yeah, um worst accent of the show. Jeez. Uh, yeah, but when they get up there and they they take his picture and you know uh just ask him to smile. I don't know why why that connects with me so much. I, I like when the radar goes off and it's looking around like the foggy ice area up there, atmospheres get up there, enjoyable ascent.
0: Yeah. Uh, so as far as uh these kind of you know boilerplate action war movies go, submarine dramas, uh I thought there there was enough uh individual personality within Bigelow's direction that it kind of, you know, worked for me and entertainment wise was very, you know, functional. So I was, I was happy with it. Uh, and, and I didn't feel like it misstepped too much, but I could definitely see where, uh, some of the more formally Mm -hmm. executed aspects, uh, just may seem perfunctory and, uh, it's, it can be very little more than, you know, a very standard, you know, war, you know, submarine drama and, Something it's, more outlying elements. The the lack of any any sort of thematic betting is is definitely a, a big blight. I mean, just needed something more.
1: Just like way to water. I think the the biggest carryover between these movies is they don't mean anything and they're based in the water.
0: So. Well, the second biggest carryover is that they're done by the same scriptwriter.
1: <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Maybe it's their fault.
0: Yeah. So uh Christopher Kyle wrote the screenplay for both films. uh So I could definitely see a consistency there. It's interesting because. And yeah, Bigelow has a tendency to work with screenwriters multiple times before moving on to someone else, like same script writer between Near Dark and Blue Steel, same script writer between Here and uh, Weight of Water. And then we've got three in a row with the next three films here with Mark Boll cool. collaboration.
1: That's what happens when you have the American Sniper write your script. Christopher Kyle, I think that's his name too. Is he too? actually the American Sniper? Is she working with the military to develop these? <laughs>
0: I mean, that would explain some of the later films to come i don't <laughs> think so but yeah you know, he hasn't done anything else thereafter so okay
1: we'll assume it's american sniper and that um <laughs> that movie the clint eastwood thing uh, who made that movie the american sniper is that
0: Hold on. I, I accidentally googled american snapper first
1: american snapper that's like the jazz documentary uh,
0: chris kyle chris kyle is that chris
1: guy kyle guy. okay yeah so, so he made these movies obviously uh <laughs>
0: and and of course uh it only stands the reason then that her following films would uh be influenced by her collaboration with mr american sniper we
1: don't know if it's him but we're just we're making blanket accusations it's definitely not
0: i can tell you 100 percent. it's not him but it is definitely yeah
1: okay um yep stop working with american sniper and uh should we rank these uh four bigelows yeah big or low right are, yep. are we going big or low on well uh, let's
0: let's start uh point break big or low
1: let's see so our our current order is that we have near dark at the at the uh starting line the biggest uh, the loveless around the middle of the track and then a uh, slouching at the starting line still is a uh, blue steel not moving the, the low the, yeah. the
0: low the biggest low one might say
1: the biggest low big low is blue steel
0: all right so let's start with the first one up here 1991's point break big or low yeah.
1: I think you're right. Uh, The first one. I think it has to be the the first. um... There's
0: there's obviously no question. As I said in the beginning, if anything else tops this, I will be sincerely surprised.
1: I mean, if we're even ranking uh, 90s action movies, what's better than this? Con Air? Um, Sudden Death with Jean-Claude Van
0: Damme? Are there only two movies better than this one? There's there's another movie that came out in 1991.
1: Face-Off? No, no. 1991. uh,
0: Terminator 2, Judgment Day, made by uh james cameron who we've uh, talked about considerably on this episode yeah
1: point break's better than that i mean Definitely. Point breaks a 100%. classic
0: 100 percent. don't care haters leave, yeah. leave your shit at the door point break is way more entertaining way more interesting and i would say directorially way more successful too uh yeah. the, the chase uh, scene the the foot chase scene in point break alone is some of the most kinetic and th- enthralling filmmaking of any film i would argue
1: and I mean, it's good when it's kinetic. It's good when it's a hangout movie at the beach. It's good when it's just a Keanu Reeves being awkward in the car or going and getting uh, two sandwiches, uh, two meatball marinara Me too. sandwiches. Jared uh... Busey,
0: so yeah. great. And you know, and I think I, I even like the romantic relationship. And it's got some yeah. thrilling, yeah. like skydiving footage. The surfing footage is pretty incredible. Like, how do they Actually, even, yeah. How do they even get that footage? It's very difficult because uh, you have only so much time to get like real waves like it's not simulated in any way you know that's real surfers really surfing in those real close up shots and it's brilliant.
1: I mean uh everyone's uh beautiful in the movie I I think it's I think it's a nice movie.
0: Um I saw this film in theaters last year and it was was phenomenal and it's gotta
1: be exhilarating. I mean
0: yeah I, I I I remember how much more tense I felt you know the scene with the lawnmower? Yeah it's just terrifying absolutely terrifying especially seeing it that that close that's always that that scene has solidified a genuine fear of lawnmowers for me throughout my life and that's why i pay for an hoa now
1: <laughs> we uh we love po- point break so much that that's the name of the uh point break is the uh adopted name of the podcast point rank so
0: so where else could it be but number one
1: um i'd be really surprised maybe hurt locker resonates more than i remembered and uh we throw that up there but I, uh, I doubt anything passes that mark
0: i will be surprised if it does personally um uh we'll, we'll see how it goes with okay next week but for now point breaks definitely number one above near dark
1: point break near dark the loveless blue steel that brings us to doing um is it strange days next uh, strange days another good and another one we both like i think we both like it equally so probably no much not much argument where it places right
0: uh, yeah, well, I guess you could argue, uh, again, I think the the trilogy of Point Break, Near Dark, and Strange Days are some of the more, uh, probably the strongest three of her filmography, at least so far what we've seen, and also just like the personality and the, the unique characteristic that comes through in all three of them in different ways, different genres as well. They all have, you know, great strengths of uh, identity to them, mm-hmm. personal identity. Uh, but I think, equally, Strange Days is also the messiest of the three. <laughs> it's it's quite long. It's probably 20 minutes longer than it needs to be. Could really use some shaving down, uh, and its messaging is conflicted by it's, the end. Yeah. It's got its heart in the right place. I think it's very interesting as a contemporary reflection of the racial politics of that time, and that place mm-hmm. especially. But it, it doesn't suss out its conclusions in the cleanest of ways. Uh, it's got these, uh, overly long plot threads that don't necessarily intersect well. And I, and I do want to say the main bad guy, uh, whatever his name is, who's like got Juliet Lewis on a, on a leash. He's pretty terrible. I did not like him in the film. <laughs>
1: okay. Uh, yeah, I think there's plenty of It's like, especially coming through with the, um, authoritarian ending in a movie about police accountability and, uh, you know, future reliance on addictive technologies, um, so many other places it could have gone
0: yeah uh i love the world it creates love the um you know the the fixture and the the tapping in with the 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 politics of the time just wish it was a little cleaner a little more thought out uh but also it kind
1: of rules though i mean like stylistically it kind of rules enough that i i don't want to put it below the love list because i love strange days and i'd say most of the runtime i was like hooked on strange days and i love all the inventiveness of the point of view and Used properly, that's a good technique.
0: I was really happy to talk about it, especially because it was it was a film that I felt like uh, I had a lot of teeth to sink into. It's got a mm-hmm. lot of material, both on the sci-fi end and the commentary end, to really dissect and discuss. And I think the fact that it is a little messy about it makes that more compelling to have a conversation uh, of... And again, like stylistically, it's one of her strongest, and that's why I kind of put it in that same grouping with Point Break and Near Dark, because I think they're going to be the ones that have the most return appeal to them. You're going to want to go and watch them a lot because they're all three a ton of fun. Um, so yeah, I think if we want to characterize it, I think it is not quite as successful, not quite as succinct uh, as Near Dark, but more coherent, more clear in its aims, and more entertaining than... The Loveless.
1: I agree. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that ranking. Uh, the the next two might be more difficult for us. Uh, uh, the Weight of Water is up next, which uh, I feel, you know, being boring is the worst crime cinema can, can be, like being a nothing film that's just looking into the abyss and, you know, nothing's happening on screen, obviously worse than being fascist. So uh, below Blue Steel for me.
0: All right. So let me let me reflect here for a second. There's certainly an argument here. I agree. I agree that potentially the worst crime a film could be is is utterly boring. It's nothing, yeah. And *The Weight of Water* is certainly that. But there's also an argument to be made that a film that is actively destructive, actively harmful, actively promoting uh, horrible ide- ideologies is even worse. It's an active force in being you know like like terrible and promoting awful ideologies but
1: again i think we we have a slight disagreement i think it's trying to fetishize these things i think it doesn't get in across cross because katherine Bigelow thinks that showing something is not endorsing it but uh she kind of takes that core through her whole movie and ends up endorsing oh, yeah, anyway
0: I, I think the tone is completely endorsing if, if anything i don't think
1: that's her uh, i don't think that's what she's trying to do right like
0: I don't, I don't know the the tone of everything, the direction of it's very supportive at all. I think the script is occasionally aware and trying to allure again, like like I, I think I highlighted those specific moments where where Jamie Lee Curtis has those quips about why she became a cop I think are trying to be self aware and her yeah. delivery are, but the the tone of everything else just seems to reinforce that actual ideology. But I my mean,
1: Jamie Lee Curtis is also pretty good in a in a. She, Front movie. And, and
0: I think it, it plays into our
1: understanding of her as a cinematic icon, into our understanding of her mom. I think it plays as a thriller with the ideas we already have pre installed about Jamie Lee Curtis.
0: What I'll say is, I'll, I'll repeat from last week as well that I think the direction in that film, the action choreography. It's good. Yeah. It's, it's solid. It's, it's not. It's competent. By any means, But it's also in service of, again, horrible ideologies. But all of that being said, I, I cannot justify a single thing the way to water, I water. <laughs> right i can't make a single argument on its behalf like at at its very best it's inert and utterly uninteresting and absolutely unengaging and just abysmal to watch i'll say i was never bored watching blue steel i was no. horrified It was very entertaining but, uh... I, I was you know i was engaged with it the whole way through though i i never wanted to necessarily like look away And it's also got the the nice advantage of being like 90 minutes. It's 90 minutes of awful police propaganda bullshit, but it's 90 minutes. (laughs) That's better than the the lengthy, turgid two hours of absolutely nothing in the weight of water. And you
1: realize pretty early that you're stuck in it. I think eight minutes in, ten minutes in, we were like... uh... I was. I said I'd give it a seven out of ten if they just shot Sean Penn and <laughs> rolled the credits, because at least then it would be something.
0: I, I'm because I, again, I think the biggest mistake it makes up for is that it just it rushes through establishing the characters. Like at the very least, if we could be partially invested in the people who are on the boat or the court case that's going on in the past, then there'd be something, even if it was bad to to hang our hats on. But there's just. There's nothing from from minute one. We're just kind of thrown into the deep end and given nothing to latch onto.
1: I see how it's working as a book. I mean, like in my mind, I see how that works, where you go from like one chapter is modern day. And then the next one is this. And then you don't so much have to tie it together in a book where it could still just be a account of one thing and a account of another. But in a movie, it needed some kind of thematic tie to bring the parallel ideas into an actual parallel. I don't think it ever does.
0: The whole idea is that, yeah, that it wants to parallel these events or that they're somehow echoing through history or whatever bullshit. Uh, it doesn't come through in, at in all. Yeah. fiction whatsoever. It, it's a very, very tedious exercise. So, ultimately, as, as much as it pains me, I'm going to have to agree with you. I did not think okay. that I was going to find anything worse than Blue Steel on the horizon. Like, <laughs> even knowing nothing about this and looking at the poster, it looks... Very generic. I was expecting something very mundane at worst. This was just some of the most boring cinema I've ever had to endure.
1: And this movie, I mean, made no money. Nobody's seen it. Um, I don't think anyone will be too worried. I don't think it has a defender is one of the things. I think Blue Steel, a lot of my friends like Blue Steel. A lot of them actually genuinely love it. Um several of our friends on the site actually love blue steel. So I
0: I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, the fascist ideology is really catching on <laughs> nowadays. So and I mean yeah. we
1: are the alternative to the right. So
0: <laughs> yeah, I could I could see the appeal for psychopaths in, in blue steel, certainly. <laughs> uh not even those people with, like weight of water.
1: <laughs> I mean, at least like the directing solid. If someone's not accounting for like the social context of the movie, I I could see why they're just rating it on craft. I could see blue steel making it. Um Weight of water. I don't see any reason. I don't see any reason to defend it. I don't see where you could come from.
0: I have. I have nothing. I have. I have nothing to even try again. I. I want to defend it over blue steel. I physically cannot.
1: Okay. (laughs) Um. Well, I mean, I think it's pretty easy. Then all we do is put uh weight of water at the bottom, and then we just slide in uh, K nineteen right above that, and then Uh, uh, blue steel above that.
0: I think we need to talk about K-19. I think there's more value in it than you're giving, especially against, again, the horrible, horrible rhetoric of Blue Steel.
1: <laughs> I think the thing is, I think Blue Steel is just incredibly mediocre and does have a lot of problematic tendencies, but you actually like um, K-19. So uh, I may just give you the edge there and allow you to uh, put K-19 above the, at least above Blue Steel. I, I don't feel like it has, as I'm not going to go back to it again. I don't, I don't know if I'd put it above Loveless. Uh, that's the conversation, I think. Is it Loveless or K-19? Well,
0: it should be noted that you have been back to K-19 more than the Loveless so far. That's <laughs> true.
1: <laughs> yeah, I do like... I It does fall into my, like, nautical dad watch thing where I could just end up watching because I want to see Harrison Ford on a submarine again. Here, here's, um,
0: here's what I would argue. So if our main problem with K-19 is that it's just... It has no purpose, no theme to it, no observations to make... Maybe Loveless um, does too. Well, honestly. yeah. What did what did the Loveless have that it was kind of ga- going at? You know, I think we liked a lot of Loveless for again, its its direction, its promising direction, yeah, and a lot of the style and atmosphere that it carried. And at least in terms of direction, I think uh, K nineteen is if if not on the same par, then even more so. I, I would say it shows a progression of her talents, especially with given bigger budgets, more equipment, you know, and working on a larger scale and especially in a, this interesting setting that usually would be limiting, but I think, here, that, I think she really flourishes.
1: I think like the rockabilly score of the Loveless and just like the stylish fifties, um, aesthetic of it. And Willem Dafoe, I think is the reason why I'd, I'd lean the other way. Uh, cause I don't like any of the actors in K-19. I really like Willem Dafoe and like his debut performance. I think that's interesting and significant.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, can, can, yeah. we really, can we really rate, can we really value it though on the fact that it was his first film? What if this was Liam Neeson's first movie? Would that make it better?
1: I think it would make it significantly worse. I don't think he'd get, like the Taken movies. Um, if he did a Taken call like on his cell phone in the uh, middle of the submarine, <laughs> I don't care when the movie is based. Uh, I think it would have <laughs> possibly gained more points with me. A little bit of irony. I think. I think the irony of the movie is that there's an American making a movie about Russian submarines, whereas like the irony of a movie needs to be more implicit in the plot. Like uh, every movie needs some sense of irony to sell its plot. So it did make me curious.
0: I'll say it did make me curious because I'm just I, I don't know how many like American events are being de- depicted in other films from from other countries. Like there's, there's probably not much, it. right? Uh, I mean. I feel like there should be at least one right come on one there's (laughs) there's got to be a lot but uh there's not overall there's there's not some weird incident nobody's like making like you know like uh summer of sam films in like china or something they're not doing that
1: i think we think we we matter that much to uh people outside like the western hemisphere but i don't know if if we matter that much to them
0: oh it's 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 interesting to see how we're like very interested in telling the stories of other countries and their history but Mm uh that definitely doesn't resonate because Uh, we get all the
1: immigrants from there and then those people want to make those movies here and there's an audience for them already installed in american theaters Uh, i mean i get it
0: yeah i can i can see all of those factors but yeah i i still think that k19 has a bit more of an edge over the love list but i definitely see how it could go either way it's it's a, it's a tougher call in this scenario, especially based on the divergence of our opinions on, on K-19 especially. We're pretty on, on the same level in terms of Loveless, but I I enjoyed the craftsmanship of K-19 and the, the brainless entertainment value of, of the film.
1: If uh, Liam Neeson called, I mean, if Harrison Ford called Liam Neeson Daddy, I think I'd get on with it a little bit more, a little bit more often uh I, I it's just weightless for me i i don't ever believe they're in a submarine actually um it's apart from the ascent and once they're up above i i don't buy the the submarine factor of the movie but
0: uh i needed to move around a bit more like it, it, needed to, it needed to be a little like back and forth rocking it's, it's very stable for a submarine especially one that's you know apparently you know having a nuclear meltdown i
1: just read it as a set the whole time i mean which you know that's I fine.
0: I think the set's very well done too i like the interior of the submarine it's very uh i don't know industrial very 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 you know i i was very taken in by the environment and again especially the way the camera moves throughout the environment i was very impressed with but i think i i i can concede to the loveless if you really want to i know you don't like k-19 really at all (laughs) again even you're like blue steel more than k19 even so i guess that's i
1: think i I think what i have to say though is that it's not that far apart like my my appreciation for the loveless isn't you know i need a little more irony in k19 than i'd pretty much have it at a 6 out of 10 as well um whereas the loveless has its irony i think of course point break near dark and strange days have very implicit ironies but uh yeah i need a little bit more i need something um i'm I'm okay with it where do you you want it above the loveless you could concede that uh
0: i, I want it above the level i mean i do want it above the loveless am i conceding that or i'm, I'm confused now
1: <laughs> oh i'm just trying to i'm sorry i got it wrong you want it below the level is what <laughs> you're saying
0: no I, I don't want it below the loveless but i'm potentially willing to concede that um it's it's not like the biggest concession for me but it definitely doesn't reflect how how i feel about the two films which i as, as long as the that stance is is stated out here i think i can i can live with again it's not a hard fight i don't love k19 i was very uh entertained oh, by it so you
1: have it at the same score as uh, strange days would you I do would you ever have it above strange days or is no, that no that's uh-huh.
0: definitely not strange days is more interesting as a film uh it okay. makes a lot more mistakes. I don't think the, the, the K-19, uh, again, it's, it's, it's formally entertaining in a way that I find satisfactory, you know, uh, whereas Strange Days definitely takes a lot of, like, missteps and has uh, a lot poorer pacing, I think, for a film that is that long, um, but it's, it's just intrinsically more interesting, you know, as material and as world building Uh, And in the performances and everything, I guess I could give it another bonus point if I really wanted to think back on the scenes with Juliette Lewis. But
1: I mean, you could uh, you could move it up just for your Juliette Lewis uh, fascination. There, I could see it. Uh, uh, Yeah, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with K19 below the Loveless, obviously. And I, I mean, I guess I'm conceding too to put it above Blue Steel, which I I have problems with enough that I don't. Yeah, I'm not going to put up a fight there.
0: Yeah. I, I I think you've got a lot of investment, in Jamie Lee Curtis there, and the uh, yeah. the, the the interesting perspective Big that fan. gives it for for her filmography. I think that's fair enough. I, I, there are better action vehicles for her, though, I'm sure.
1: No, <laughs> I don't think there ever were. So uh, you know uh, you
0: know what I'm trying to think. Let's see, there's there's got to be one right. There, she's in True Lies, and she's not like this isn't the kind of film. Hey, look, another James Cameron connection. Look, he he just keeps right. coming up. He just keeps coming up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh, yeah uh, i think that's good for now i'm happy with that ranking again it's it's still pretty reflective overall of how we both feel about this filmography uh i think there's a uh, 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 the biggest issue is that there's just there's a bigger gulf for me between loveless and blue steel than there is for you okay i think K nineteen. i guess
1: i guess putting strange days loveless k19 gives us something to work with when we have to insert these other movies too um uh, e-
0: It'll be interesting to see how these ones fit because they'll be very different from the films we've been seeing so far. Even K-19, which is, again, a a war film, the first step kind of into a war film. It's a very different war film than what we're about to to transition into here. It's going to get real dusty and brown for these (laughs) next couple entries.
1: I mean, I'm guessing the categories we're working in are within Strange Days down to Blue Steel with these next movies. But uh, I I hope Hurt Locker surprises me and I find something more in it. But uh, we'll see
0: yeah uh we shall see three more to go and then we'll be wrapping up our katie biggs retrospective
1: right on um you could join our discord now uh which is a a new feature of the website click on community at the top bar um
0: it also should be in the uh description for the episode as well it should be just everywhere just go anywhere find it
1: yeah we have a very inclusive uh growing uh, film community so uh plenty of good conversations happening there That's the best way to contact all our work, honestly. We don't always post it to Twitter and Facebook.
0: Great place as well to let us know your uh, weight of water takes for anyone who has (laughs) interesting insight on that. If you
1: are a Defender or if you are Katie Biggs, please join and let us know.
0: Yeah. Uh, And also where you can find various uh, links and directions with the people who run our other podcasts on the website. Mm -hmm. Let's see, we just had a new... Was it three letters five mics
1: yeah um three letters five mics on 50 cent and uh one on nas coming uh later this month next month uh then we have a daydream cast which we'll have news on soon um exciting news uh very exciting news actually about uh the show which is in a good place um ranking the monsters and uh don't let the modern cast get you i think that's our
0: we forgot to mention the last one last time, but you guys are gearing up for another episode, yeah?
1: Of The Modern Cast? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've recorded one. Uh, Jack's doing the edits there, thankfully for me. A what's, uh, what's break. Film? So. What's
0: What's the film on The Modern Cast?
1: The film on The Modern Cast is um what did we do? <laughs> Don't let the uh Modern Cast get you. Um what did we do? Uh, Adventures in Kruben County. Proven Country, excuse me.
0: I'm sure I'm sure Matt's listening and screaming at you right now <laughs> the name of his second feature. <laughs> uh,
1: Adventures in Proven Country is one I keep having trouble with. Uh, don't know why I don't get that title. I
0: don't know. Uh, but it's it about
1: um, Matt Farley taking over a town and deciding that uh, roads are no good. Everyone needs to travel by tunnel, and everyone gets their own tunnel from their house. You going to go underground, interact with your neighbors and shit, and he's kind of a, a terrible um, right... Uh, he's kind of a terrible mayor who everyone disagrees with. It's kind of about him destroying the town, but also about uh, the need to get out and connect with your society. A lot of uh, a lot of them just playing basketball, hanging Is this out. A
0: movie about Elon Musk. And his, yeah, it's like uh,
1: very prefiguring Elon Musk there.
0: Very uh, very very prescient from uh, Matt Farley. Interesting. Uh, it's I also
1: was- about uh, druids that attack the people in the town, but uh, barely. <laughs>
0: And then on, uh, you also mentioned the ranking the monsters, which you guys just did a double feature of Big Man Japan and something else that was not as good. I remember Yongari. yeah, Yonkuri yeah. and big, big, Man
1: big Man Japan.
0: Big Man Japan sounded interesting at least. That was that a, was uh, a good episode.
1: Ben, that was Ben's first kaiju movie ever. Yeah, <laughs> which is like this big, uh, Japanese guy in like Dreamcast quality CG, you know. But it's kind of like suit Nation mixed with the animation. It's interesting.
0: Was it better CG than the submarine in K 19? It
1: is, because uh, at least it's stylistic and it, it's something I haven't really seen before because it's like it, it seems like suitmation, like people in suits, but then of course it's like large sizing them over models and then kind of animating them. It's, it's interesting. Good technique there.
0: Okay, okay. Well, tune in for that for more interesting uh, kaiju perspectives. Uh, and then we also, of course, have the other podcast with Steven thinking of spoiling things okay we do have more Um, yeah (laughs) plenty now you you really opened the box on these I gotta say like you said hell we we can only have so many more podcasts and you everyone took that as an invitation to make their own I guess
1: I I know I was like we have two more slots for podcasts and then we had three more podcasts next week that's great
0: (laughs) so yeah so um I'm thinking of spoiling things uh they just did house of Gucci Mm-hmm. I don't know what they have next on. I don't TV. either. Honestly. I would, I would love to know. Uh, so Stephen Vaughn, let us know what's going on there because we're we're curious to know. We can't promote you very well if you don't tell us. How, I guess so. we could
1: set them up. We could say they're doing licorice pizza. That would be fun uh, to say.
0: I don't know. I don't know if, if you do that. Didn't what just He's, came out? Stephen's just like, seeing it this
1: week, and Vaughn's seen it. So
0: I, yeah, but I feel like there's something more interesting probably that we could have them. Spider Man: No Way Home yeah yeah that's a, that's a good option is is don't look up like too far gone <laughs> can we uh, talk about that
1: it's a uh, shame we don't talk about new movies so i can't rant about spider spider-man no way gone no way, no way home gone, no way, way
0: home what's what's coming up let me let me just check here top of letterboxd here what's a what's the new movie red rocket involved.
1: would be fun um yeah.
0: What's like new? New though, did, did anything come out this week? This West Side month?
1: Story came out on I Christmas. Have, uh, no, what's like Hotel Transylvania is came out this there week. There you go. There you go. There it you comes go. out Friday. Stephen
0: yeah. and Vaughn's next episode is going to be on Hotel Transylvania four. I think it is. Is yeah. The fourth one. Hotel Transylvania Transformania,
1: four. Uh, on, uh, I'm Transylvania.
0: I'm thinking. I'm thinking of spoiling things this next week. Tune in for that.
1: But definitely not. <laughs>
0: No, it's, 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 I mean, now, do tune
1: in. It's definitely not about hotel. I mean, maybe it is.
0: I mean, it is now.
1: <laughs> yeah, it could be.
0: Well, until further notice, uh, thanks for joining us. And we'll be back next week with Catherine Bigelow Part Three and Hotel Transylvania Four.
1: Spoilers, they use all three Spider-Man from all, all of those films.
0: So. Dick move, Dick move, count.
1: Should have left that for their show, huh? Yeah. Okay, that's good.
0: (laughs) Yep, yep.
2: conversations and I post them online for entertainment it's nice to know at least you listen to the show because it's quite the possibility that nobody is listening to me in this modern world things have changed everybody's entertaining who's being entertained thank you i and...